Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bring, bring it back. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable podcast. I'm your host today, Jake Jackman, standing in for Kev DeVries. Uh, you can get us on Twitter at EPL Roundtable or email us at the show EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hello, my name is Thomas Nygren. I write about Liverpool for a Swedish website called lfcsv.se. Hi, I'm uh, Steve McGookin. Uh, I'm a Spurs fan from Belfast and I'm a former chairman of the New York Spurs Supporters Club. Thanks so much for joining me today, guys. Uh, we'll set up the topics, and the first one is probably one that keeps coming up on the show every sort of three or four months. But it's VAR. It seems to be the, the hot talking point this weekend. Uh, obviously, there's disallowed goals at Chelsea that prevented West Ham getting a point. There was one at Newcastle that prevented us from winning the game. Uh, and there was another one today uh, in the Arsenal game uh, when they opened the scoring. Uh, all differing degrees of, of controversial um, nature. Um, but the, the PGMOL have, have come out today and apologised and sort of said that they'll learn from the, the experiences this weekend and, and hopefully take some lessons away from them, which is, uh, I mean, it, it doesn't do a lot for the teams that have suffered, but uh, I guess it is at least a, a statement of, of some sort. Just wanted to get your guys' thoughts on, on the decisions themselves and is there anything that we can do to sort of improve VAR in the short term or is it just going to be more of the same and it, it maybe it's going to be something that needs to be looked at at the end of the season? Uh, well, um, I think it's a very tough to see, tough uh, question because if it was up to me, I think they could remove the VHR completely from the Premier League. I don't think that it, the benefits are big enough. We're talking more today about referees or VAR decisions than we did before the system was implemented, and I thought it would be the opposite. You can't celebrate a goal until you've seen the replay, and that takes away a big part of the special feelings when your team scores. I was happy yesterday that Conor Cody's goal was disallowed, but when you see a player celebrate like this with this um, with this crowd, and then they just take it away, it feels like they're ruining a big part of the sport. But I guess the VHR system is here to stay, so hopefully they can make a few things better. One thing that I would like them to do is that they, I'm not sure that this would make things easier, but I think they should stop watch everything in slow motion, because every foul looks a lot worse when they watch it in slow motion. And today, it looks like almost if you... As long as you touch each other, it's a foul when you're in the penalty area. And I think that uh, that's not the way I want the sport to be played. Uh, I like the change that they've made for the offside calls, but uh, I would like them to remove the lines completely and just simply go by the image. And if you can't see that it's an offside with your eyes, then just let it be. So that we don't get those tight offside calls that we've seen in the last couple of seasons. As, as I said, I think it's better this season, but I, I'm, I'm not completely satisfied. Perhaps one thing that they could change is to use the VHR in a way that the managers that the managers can challenge a decision in a way that they do in ISOC, at least here in Sweden, so that they can 
that they only use the VHR when a manager challenges the referee's call. In that way, they wouldn't find things that nobody notices. I don't think anyone would have complained for an offside before McAllister's goals day, for example. It was an offside call. It was the right decision, but it felt wrong. The two decisions yesterday, both the Newcastle goal and the West Ham goal, are evidence that the system doesn't work. We still rely on what the people watching, that the people watching making a decision from what they see. We still see mistakes, but today it's even harder to accept them. And I guess the best solution is simply to transfer referees to the league in the same way that they do with players, because in the end it's up to the referee to make a decision if he, if he is on the field or in the VHR room. And the best way to make sure that the decision is the right one is to have the best man for the job. And um, perhaps the best men for the job isn't, com isn't only English referees. So I think that that would make it uh, a bit better. But as I said at the start, I'm not, uh, I'm not the biggest fan of the VHR system at all. Yeah, I, I um, you know, I honestly, I can't remember another weekend since VAR was introduced uh, three seasons ago now that its reputation was so thoroughly, cumulatively and effectively shredded. Um, and I think every game over the weekend had a contentious VAR decision, most, most of which could have changed the outcome of the contest or at least the momentum within the game. So I, I think rather than just review those two specific decisions, there's maybe a case to be made to look at how VAR operated right across the league this weekend. Because I think what players and managers and, and, and fans as well want more than anything else is consistency. There's a sense of consistency. And they want to know how the, the process works. Um, they, they want, you know, they want that information to be explained to them so they're all on the same page. And I, I, I don't think we're all on the same page, uh, as Thomas just, just said. Um, you know, he, he would prefer that we did away with it. But I mean, for example, the situation over uh, Jesse Marsh's red card um, came from the ref not using VAR to address the incident that had got him so riled up in the first place. And, uh, you know, as, a, as an observer of American sports, I, I thought for a moment that we were we were going to get a, a sort of classic baseball ejection scenario where where Marsh maybe thought he was in, entitled to kick dirt all over the ref before finally leaving the field. And, and again, the inconsistency in the Michael Oliver situation at Nottingham Forest where, you know, he didn't agree with the VAR decision and then overruled him himself. You know, that was something that, that, that it should at least be explained or, or we could get a better understanding of the thought process that went into it. Um, but the, the fact that we currently have anything but consistency in how the system works is leading to more people in football in every aspect of football to lose confidence in, in its operation. And I know, and, and Thomas just proved it, it's always been a, a divisive issue among fans. And, and I'm, I'm generally in favor of the use of technology, but you know, at, at risk of sounding like a disillusioned Brexiteer, this isn't what we voted for. You know, we're three seasons in, we should have been able to work out any kinks in this by now to a point where everyone involved in the game is happy that they'll get fair treatment from the people running the system, and and unfortunately, I think we're. Uh, it seems that that you know the the, the human element uh, that's what's turning people against something that's designed to correct specific human errors on the field. 
And I, I think Tony Poulos um, put it correctly on Five Live today when he said that uh, the problem isn't with the technology, but it's the people using it. And I think we need to look at all the aspects of the decision-making process. So the more examples from the same weekend are look at, looked at, the better. Uh, and, and what better weekend to pick than, than the games that we've just, uh, that we've just experienced. So what, what specific changes can we make? Um, there are three things, I think. Uh, uh, Danny Murphy, again, raised the possibility on Match of the Day last night of former players being involved in the review process. And I do think that's something worth considering in some form. Uh, secondly, should there be time limits on the decision-making process? Absolutely. We, sh we shouldn't end up adding three or four extra minutes um, simply because there isn't a consensus between the ref on the pitch and the review crew. But another thing that I think could help is uh, a measure of accountability and transparency. And actually, this is something that I always thought would improve the game even before VAR was introduced. Uh, we already have managers and players giving their post-match opinions sometimes when they haven't had an opportunity to settle down if a game ends controversially. Uh, why not have the match ref come out half an hour after the game to address any controversial decisions, the cards he did or didn't give, or just to explain his thought process at crucial moments of the game. It wouldn't need, I, I don't think it would need to be any longer than two or three stock sentences that most managers come out with, but it would actually help fans who have just watched the game understand why it ended up the way it did. And 30 minutes after the game would, would give him the chance to debrief with his VAR team so they could get their stories straight. But I, I do think the absence of anything like that for now is only going to make it more likely that the choice will eventually come down to, you know, do we keep VAR as it is or do we chuck it completely rather than what they should already be doing, asking how everyone can contribute to, to improving it. Um, I generally, I agree with what a lot of what Thomas said, um, except the, the one thing where he mentioned the challenges. Uh, and again, if you go down the road of American sports that, that where you're penalized for, for a challenge that isn't effective, a challenge that doesn't work, that's a nonsense because you get to the last 10 minutes of a game and you're out of, you're out of challenges. That means that, you know, a, a, a clearly egregious file can't be challenged uh, if it's not picked up by VAR. So I, I don't think that, I think that's a non-starter. Um, uh, you know, there, there'll always be human error in the game and that's that's partly what gives it the the unpredictable excitement that lifts it above you know just a sterile game like cricket but um as i said earlier we, we've had a few seasons now to at least understand why people are still upset by it and and you know if football if football doesn't understand that then football can't fix it and you know much as the the review of the two incidents um, uh, this weekend is a good start. I, I, I think we can go a lot further. Yeah, I think it's worth touching on as well that, that the sort of offside given at, uh, in the Aston Villa game yesterday because that that wasn't a VAR mistake. That was a that was an official mistake. But it, again, it just shows the the inconsistency of of the referees and that a lot of uh, linesmen would have let that play go on and then raise their flag. Whereas he raised it early and, and they've obviously been told yeah. not to do that. So it's yeah. just a lot of inconsistency game to game. It's sort of it depends which officials you get as to as to the decisions right. you'll get, and I, and I think yesterday with the the two decisions that we've spoken about, they were both sort of penalised for fouls and goalkeepers, which 
has always been a murky area in football. Yeah. And I think a lot of referees are, are so keen to to give the fouls on goalkeepers for a lot less than they would on other on other on other defenders. Yeah. So I think I, I think that's partially what happened yesterday. But in, you know, I would me watching the Newcastle game live, I did think there was something off with the goal. Just it was such a weird goal that you don't see very often. That you just thought that there must have been something. There must have been a foul in there. When you look at it, it's, it's, if if anything, the Newcastle players being fouled um, more so than the, than the goalkeeper. But just one of those things. Um, I don't think it's good that Mike Dean and uh, Lee Mason can go from refereeing um, to, to retiring from refereeing and becoming the VAR officials. I think that's probably not a career path that, that should be should be praised. There's obviously a, a reason. <laughs> There's a reason why Lee Mason was taken off Premier League games last season. Right. And he's and he's still still having a having a say, which which seems a little bit wrong. But um, yeah, yeah, it's just a, a big learning curve. I think that I, I also think a lot of the I don't agree that every single decision needs to be looked at by VAR. I think referee says this is so. If they said in the Manchester United game today, I saw that um, Odegaard pressured um, Eriksson in the middle of the park. I didn't think it was a foul. I saw there was contact, and I wanted the play to go on. And then if the referee, if the VAR referee goes, well, that is what happened. If you didn't see a foul, we don't need to look at it. <laughs> they should just. Right. It right. seems that the people in the VAR in the VAR box are re-refereeing the game, which is what they've always said is not going to happen. I feel like it goes from one extreme to the other. So I'm sure maybe next weekend we'll see a lot fewer VAR interruptions <laughs> and there probably there will probably be a case for there to be one. So like it goes from it goes from extreme to extreme. Yeah. And then it'll come back to what's been like this weekend in a, a couple of months' time. But yeah. No, I also agree with Thomas's point about expanding the pool of referees, uh, not just, you know, uh, as you say, with the retired referees, but actually broaden it out. You know, there are FIFA referees that can be brought into that pool um, from from all over. And if that's accompanied by even just a little bit of transparency or accountability, uh, I think we'll have more of a more of an understanding as to how they come to the decisions that they do. Yeah, I, yeah, I think I think there's also a case that you could have foreign referees from other leagues uh, being the VAR official and not having to be in the country. <laughs> like they, they, right. we have that technology now, we don't need to steal them from other leagues. We could just use them when they're not being used. Exactly, there's lots of things that could be done. But um, yeah, I, I agree with the time the time um, limit as well. I think that that should be that should be implemented. If if they can't come to a decision within two minutes of a clear and obvious error, it obviously isn't one, and the, and the original decision stands. I think that would be. So I think the delay today uh, for the for the writing goal that was disallowed was about five or six minutes. It was it was ridiculous, really, and it, it was the type of decision that would never have been made before VAR, which, yeah. which kind of beats the point of it. But yeah, I think that's enough on VAR. I'm sure it's covered <laughs> covered all over the English and international media over the next few days. So yeah. we'll leave that one to to one side, yeah. and we'll there, move on. There is one thing just before we leave it. <laughs> yeah, we sorry. Go I'm wondering, I mean, you, you guys probably know more about the, the various stats that go on than, than I do. I, it would always be intriguing to me to know um, if, a, if a, a team gets a goal disallowed because of VAR, who, who scores the next goal in that game? Does, that, does it have any impact on the momentum within the game? And if there's a way to actually calculate how... Uh, how disadvantaged the team would be for for having a goal disallowed, but I, again, I just raise that off the top of my head. I, I would I would be interested in a stat like that. 
I think it'd be interesting. I think some teams would probably react and want to make the point, whereas others might have their shoulders dropped. It might wake the opposition up. For exactly. 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 Good, good, good have a look. I, I don't have the stuff. So, yeah, that would be interesting to see. Um, but, yeah, we'll, we'll move on now to Liverpool. Uh, and Thomas will let you take the lead on this one. Uh, six games gone. Um, two wins. One quite emphatic. The other a very late equaliser. Uh, a very late winner against Newcastle during the week. Uh, unfortunately for me, but the rest of the game, this is, and it, it's even a case in the Newcastle game that the performances haven't been great. It seems like they're missing something that they've had in previous seasons. I just wanted to get your thoughts on whether there are signs of a decline at Liverpool in the current squad, or do you just think it's just teething problems at the start of the season and we will see a return to Klopp's sort of free-flowing best? Uh, well, um... If you look at the start of this season, I think we have more points than we have uh, deserved because we were lucky against Newcastle to win in the end. We came back with 10 men against Crystal Palace. We could easily have lost that game. So um, I think we've been lucky. Uh, but I do think it's harsh to talk about the decline of the team when a couple of months ago we were just a few goals away from winning everything. We haven't started in the way I hoped, of course, and in a way it reminds me of the season uh, after COVID where we lacked energy from the start and fought against the difficult injury situation. Uh, what you can say so far is that there are a few players who are past their prime and needs to be played in a different way. Uh, we have seen the best from Jordan Henderson, James Milner, Roberto Firmino. Uh, they are still good players, but um, I think they're good squad players, not as starters in every game and the injury situation made us use a play like uh, James Milner a bit more than I think Klopp wanted from the start. Uh, the big issue for us has been the midfield so far where we have missed Thiago a lot and since we've also been without Keita, Jones and Oxford Chamberlain we've been very short of options and been forced to play a few players a bit more than I think Klopp wanted. Uh, both Harvey Elliott and uh, Fabio Carvalho have done great, but they're too young to be relied on in midfield. If you look at the starting eleven when we played Manchester United away, we had uh, Henderson, Milner and uh, Harvey Elliott. And to me, that isn't a midfield who go to Old Trafford and get the three points. If we had started Fabinho Thiago, it would have been a completely different situation. So the injury situation is a problem. And I think that once we can get that sorted, if we can get that sorted, I think we'll come back to to see the old Liverpool again, because uh, we had an injury on the Oguiota during pre-season, and then the suspension on Nunes took away our chance to rotate up front, so we had to use the three players we had for three games, and the injuries on Matip and Konate made it impossible to rotate at the back, so we had to play Joe Gomez from start every game. Um, of course, a big issue here is that we are in this situation, because it's the second time that we have too many injuries too early in the season. And um, I think that this that is something that Klopp and the rest of the staff need to look at so that we don't find ourselves in this, this uh, situation again. A problem is that we have a, a couple of players who are, are um, a bit injury prone. If you look at Naby Keita's career in Liverpool, it's, uh, he has been out more than he, than he has been available. It's the same thing with Oxley Chamberlain. It's a bit the same way with Thiago as well. And since he's so such an important member of this squad. We can't be without him as much as uh, we've been in the at the start of this season. And um, apart, apart from that, we have a few have a couple of new players who need to find their place in the team. And um, if you look at a, 
signing us like uh, Darwin Nunez is a completely different player than Firmino who used to play up front and perhaps I think Klopp needs to figure out how to use him to get the best out of him out of him in the in the games and the same with our young midfielders Harvey Elliott has stopped this season good but uh, I think his his uh, his role has been a bit too big. Yesterday, Klopp used him as one of two midfielders next to Fabinho, and it was almost like we played uh, without a midfield for half an hour. So we have a few things to fix until we get uh, back to our best. But I think we have the squad to to come back to be uh, to compete at the top of the table because even though we've started this season very very bad, we are six points behind from the top, and we have 32 games left to play. So. I'm I'm not uh, I'm not very worried, but of course I would have. The thing that uh, is annoying is that we can't really get start the game at the at our best because we've we've let in the first goal in every game apart from um, the Bournemouth game, and uh, that is something that we really need to fix to be a, to be in the game from the start. We can't go come from behind every game. We were lucky to manage against Newcastle because. Was it maybe a, a couple of inches on offside call on Isak before he scored the second goal? And if that would have if uh, that would have been against us, we could we would have lost that game. So Klopp needs to find a way to get his players back and uh, to be at the pitch when the game starts, not after we concede our first goal. So hopefully we can have our players back after this um, international break and. Uh, Get a bright start when we play Brighton because we are having we have games both against Manchester City and Arsenal after the international break and if we can win those games we are back competing at the top. Yeah, no, it's it it, it is interesting because um, the two projects, the Liverpool project and the Spurs project, kind of went along on the similar track for a long time because. I think Klopp took over in 2015 and, and Poch took over in 2014. And the two, the, you know, those two projects essentially were the were the markers for each other. And of course, it culminated in, in the 2019 um, uh, Champions League final, after which we, of course, went went completely off the track. Um, I, I, I think, as I was saying to you earlier, uh, Jake, I, I, it's just it's way too early to extrapolate anything as dramatic as the beginning of a decline for for a team or a manager um and especially with the the new players that liverpool have, have brought in to to freshen things up i mean once they start to gel together and and there's real competition for places i i think they'll definitely pick up where they uh where they left off last season and, and thomas is right about uh missing tiago he could he could very possibly be your most influential player i think also um they'll probably miss sadio mane more than they were expecting um certainly you know with salah misfiring the the, the same way that son is for us uh but there you know there's more than enough quality i think in that squad for them to come good and 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 i think they just need to play together a few few more times uh, I mean, obviously, it wasn't it wasn't the start to the season that they wanted, and 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 they did look um, a little out of sorts in yesterday's Merseyside derby. But you know, they're only they're only two wins away from being top of the league, like everyone else in last season's top four. And uh, you know, obviously, the Bournemouth game uh, showed that, that that they could score for fun when when they all clicked together, even if they weren't then able to build on that and go into the next game against United. Uh, successfully, but I think everyone 
at this stage is on a bit of a roller coaster for a while, but it'll, it'll settle down. And confidence and consistency, I think, is is always the key. So I I don't think Liverpool have have too much to worry about at this stage. But you know, having said that, and I think Thomas uh, hint, hinted at this, you know, they've they've got a tough run of games uh, coming up. Uh, I think they play Wolves next week, and then they're they're into like a um, like a tough stretch. Um, so you know, leaving aside their European games for now, uh, I think it's. Uh, Getting getting into that into that stretch of games and doing okay uh, in those is going to be really important for them. And uh, you, you mentioned Nabi Keita and, and um, you know the the injuries. I, I saw a story today that said that Klopp didn't include uh, Keita in the Champions League squad. Is that is that just related to his injury, Thomas? Uh, as far as I know, it's uh, related to the injuries, and it it's quite a short Champions League group yeah. stage this season. So I think the he needs to play in five or six weeks to be able to play in the group stage. So perhaps the injury is uh, is uh, big enough for him to be out of the group stage because I think he would be in the squad if it wasn't for that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll, I'll ask you a couple more questions on it later, Thomas. We will yeah. speak a little bit more about Liverpool, but we'll move on to the final topic. Uh, the transfer window is finally closed. It felt like it had been open an age. Uh, and as always, we normally like to have a quick discussion on who we think are the winners and the losers of the transfer window out of the Premier League clubs. I'll start you first, Thomas. Well, um, of course, it's hard to say so close after the window is closed, but uh, I think there are many teams that looks better now than uh, before the window opened. I mean, it's, if you look at a, a squad like Nottingham Forest, they brought in over 20 players. And uh, if they stay up, I think they will be the winners in this window. But if they go down, uh, they won't. They will be the losers. So, there are two teams who stands out to me if you look at the losers of this window, and that's uh, Bournemouth and Leicester. I don't think they have strengthened their teams in the way that they needed to. Uh, I'm not sure that uh, Bournemouth even tried to strengthen the team too much, and they they seem to have chosen to rely on the team that took them to the Premier League. And, Sometimes that's the that's a wise decision, but they squad, their squad looks uh, a bit thin to me. And uh, Leicester should have strengthened, not just uh, uh, not this old Fofana. They have. They, I think they needed to change a few things in the squad for this season, and they haven't done it. So perhaps they don't trust Rogers to spend the money anymore. And uh, the next transfer window, I guess that he won't be there anymore. So perhaps that this. Uh, the decision they're standing on. Um, it's hard to say about say much about the other teams today because there are a few teams who paid a lot of money and if the player turns out to be successful, the windows will be good. I think uh, both Spurs and Arsenal have had great windows looking at it now. And I think that um, Newcastle have done very well, has done very well because they've come into this um, era in a wise way. The signings of both uh, Botman and uh, Isak can turn out to be very good business since they're both uh, young, talented and can be marquee signings in a few years. Um, and as a Swede, of course, it's fun to see Isak um, do well, even though I didn't celebrate when he scored against Liverpool, of course. Uh, United, Manchester United have paid a lot of money, too much money, if you ask me, for the players that they have signed. But... Um, if the players they have bought makes them a better team, perhaps it will be worth it because they have the money, they need the players. So the price perhaps isn't the big issue for them. As long as the transfers work out, it, um, it will be worth it. 
And if you look at Anthony today, he did very well. Martinez at, um, in the defense has done well. So even though they paid a lot of money, if, it, if that could uh, take them back to the top, at least back to the Champions League, it would be worth every penny they paid. Yeah, uh, these are always great conversations to sort of kick around a few days after the window closes because we, we probably won't know who's actually won or lost the window until, until the next window. Um, I, I, you have to look at you know which team strengthened in the places they needed to, uh, who was able to get their first choice players in and who wasn't. Um, there were situations where players who didn't move this time where the situation may shift by the time of the next window or even the, the one after that next summer. So th there was maybe a bit of a waiting game going on for, for some teams. And, uh, I, and you also have to look at players that a team might bring in who doesn't work out for whatever reason. So then there's there's a hangover problem at that position. Uh, and it was kind of funny, I think, as, as Thomas was saying, that when, when Eric Ten Hag took over at at Man United, you know, people thought they were going to spend their way out of trouble. And, and now the same thing's being said about Chelsea, um, especially on the back of their new new ownership. Uh, at, at the other end of the table, again, I totally agree with, with Thomas. You could probably say that Nottingham Forest will either have won or lost the window, depending on what they do with this uh, entirely new new squad that they've brought in. Um, also agree with, with, with Thomas on Arsenal and Newcastle had, had very good windows, especially since everyone is going to be watching closely how Newcastle will be will be spending their money in, in the, the next sort of two or three windows as well. I, I thought it was interesting watching the, the Brighton-Leicester game today. You know, Leicester lose Fofana and Schmeichel and, and then you have unsettling transfer talk around Madison and Tielemans. And, and they seem to have just lost their compass completely. Whereas Brighton, on the other hand, can can sell players like Cucurella and Basuma and Mope, and they're, they're, they're just on a roll. And, and that's partly due to a, a mindset that comes from Graham Potter. And, and, and the same thing, I think, with Thomas Frank at Brentford. If you get, get your team to think they're unbeatable after, the while, after a while, they, they, they start to believe it. And it, it's also probably a reflection of some of the things Brandon Rogers has been saying publicly um, you know, recently, if you go around saying that you've had a bad window, then, you know, sooner or later you do. Um, as for us, as for Spurs, uh, our our fans are never satisfied. I mean, traditionally, they're just not. Uh, and they feel they're entitled to ask the questions they were asking in the couple of days run up to the window closing, simply because we didn't do any late business. Um, that was partly because Conte and Partici identified the targets early with the aim of having a full pre-season to work together. And also when you look at the players who moved on deadline day itself, were any of them really a must-have for us or even an upgrade on who we already had, uh, with the exception possibly of Fafana and, and maybe Arthur Mello, uh, I'm not sure they would be. And, you know, as I said earlier, if a player isn't going to move, like the Bastoni situation that we had, then you move on and, and you decide then if you're going to go back in uh, at a later date. So, uh, but I, if you look at what didn't happen uh, towards the end of the of the window, um, that the, the Yannick Carrasco story I think was was apparently always a rumor. Um, likewise, I think the Dan James story might might just have been his agent stirring the pot a bit to see if you know there were any other takers out there. Um, our, our biggest issue for this window 
seem to be um, a, a sense of confusion or the lack of prioritizing of shipping out the players Conte didn't want. So a lot of things got left to the last minute in that direction. But we should have been in a position where it wasn't necessarily dependent on on one in, one out, beyond you know the obvious need to balance the squad. But uh, you know, overall, we have a better squad today than we did a year ago. So I'm I'm happy with that. And and Conte seems to be playing our window down, uh, saying that we're still a distance back from from the big spenders in the league. So I, I'm fine with that too. Yeah, I think in years gone by, the team that we have claimed to have won the transfer window has often struggled. I think it was Fulham a couple of seasons ago, Aston Villa last season. So the fact that we've not really come to a consensus probably suits everything because nobody wants that title. <laughs> uh, and I do think that's a good point on Brighton and, and Leicester. Um, maybe you could make the case of Leicester perhaps maybe have been better off moving on Madison and Tielemans as well and much earlier in the window and have that time to sort of give a fresh look to the squad. Um I mean, Leeds did it in, a, in the same way. If we'd have been sat here last year and we'd have said they were going to lose Calvin Phillips and Rafinha, we'd have thought there would have been certainty for relegation. But they seem to have brought in a lot of good players and they sort of um, yeah started the season quite well. So sometimes yeah. you need to make those those difficult calls to push on. And I think maybe Leicester might regret that in a few months' time, and they might even have to lose them on lose those players for the cut prices, whether that be in January or next summer, if things continue to go. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. As they are, but we'll move off transfers for now. We'll move into the club-specific questions. We'll start with you, Thomas. We spoke about Liverpool a bit earlier, so we won't go for a wide frame on the club. I'll, I'll just ask you about a couple of individual players. Um, the first one, um, Trent Alexander-Arnold. He got brought off early yesterday. It seems a little bit strange with the game being at nil-nil, but perhaps it was a planned substitution. Um, how have you sort of viewed his start of the season? Because it, there's been criticisms of his defensive work at times. And he also really doesn't seem to be creating chances at the same rate he has in previous years. Are you concerned about his start to the season or do you just think it's one of those poor patches of form and he'll grow into the, to the campaign as it progresses? Uh, well, I think uh, uh, I think he struggles a bit with his form. As you said, he's, uh, he has made a few bad decisions defending and uh, he doesn't create enough chances going forward. So. Uh, it, it reminds me, as I said earlier, it reminds me a bit about the COVID season where he also was looked a bit uh, tired and um, couldn't find his, uh, the players up front with his passes in the same way as he usually do. And uh, of course, Alexander Arnold, we uh, rely a lot on him. He's one of the most important players in our build-up play. And uh, 
he's a world-class player and he has been since he was a teenager. So, of course, um, we hope that he, can, he will be that every game. But if, he's, it, of course, as I said, it, he wasn't this way two years ago as well when he looked, uh, when he looks uh, tired. He doesn't run back in the way that he usually do. And um, I don't, he doesn't, it feels a bit like he doesn't believe in the way that he usually do when he's um, in form. Because um, the way that he and uh, Salah plays together when both are, are uh, at their best, there aren't many teams who can defend against us when, the, when, we, when we get that going. And this season both have struggled and perhaps it's a bit of uh, Mohamed Salah's struggles that has um, made uh, Alexander Arnold look uh, worse because both have been, um, I think that right side has been a problem for us because uh, usually when we don't score, it's that side that we can rely on. But we have two world-class players. Alexander Arnold has been in the world, world 11 a few times and Salah has been maybe one of the best strikers in the world in the past season. So. I think that uh, we need to get both these two players going if we are going to compete for the title this season. And when uh, when you look at Alexander Arnold's defending, that has always been an issue. I think it was uh, he made some steps in the right direction last season, where uh, he looked a bit more solid going back uh, at the back. But um, this season has been a bit back to um, his um, old mistakes and. Part of it, it's the problem in midfield who hurts him because uh, when he is going forward, we don't have the midfielders to covering behind him. Fabinho has to has uh, taken a big responsibility defending for him, and uh, previously Jordan Henderson has um, managed to uh, fill in behind Alexander Arnold when he goes forward. And Jordan Henderson hasn't been at his best this season, and now he's out injured. We played Harvey Elliott on the right side a few times, and he isn't uh, isn't defending in the same way. So I think that it's uh, we need a bit of stability on the right side to get him firing again. Uh, if we can get Salah going and uh, maybe find some bits, uh, some uh, a bit more uh, solid players in midfield who can um, defend behind him when he goes forward, I think we will see the, the old Alexander Arnold again. But uh, I fear that we have to wait a few, a couple of more games because usually he needs a rest before he can be firing again. Um, two years ago, it was almost a blessing in disguise when he was um, taken away from the national team because that gave him a, gave him a rest. And uh, perhaps we can hope in the, a similar thing this time when uh, the international break is coming up. Yeah, I think there's a chance of that. Uh, I was going to ask you about Sarah as well. I'll ask you a, a little bit more about him in a second. I just wanted to, to go back on Alexander Arnold. Do you think that the lack of a, a genuine right-back competition for him is partly the reason to blame? We see with Robertson, he has a similar kind of question. I know that Liverpool signed Calvin Ramsey, uh, but he's he's been injured himself. And it would be asking a lot for somebody to come in from the Scottish League uh, as a young player to, to push Trent. Um, and the only other options are Milner or Gomez, neither of which are sort of natural in that right-back mm. spot. Do you think that that's maybe part of the reason why he's had a slight drop-off? Because maybe he feels comfortable and, and doesn't have the same competition that others in the squad have? Uh, yeah, I think that might, that might be part of the problem. Uh, if, not, it's, if not competition, I think he's, uh, he, he plays too much. Uh, if he doesn't get injured, he starts every game. And if we could have... a a similar situation on the right side as, as we have on the left side with uh, Simicas. We could we could rest Alexander Arnold a bit more and make him um, firing 
um, on a more common basis now. Uh, Kelvin Ramsey, of course, we, we signed him as a backup for Alexander Arnold, but of course he's not ready to start in the Premier League yet. I think he's had maybe one or two seasons in the Scottish League and he's still a teenager. Joe Gomez is a decent backup, but uh, since we had both Konate and Matip out injured, he's been forced to play in the middle. And he is, of course, he's not, he is a central defender. He's not a right-sided defender. Uh, so um, I think if we could find a similar player to Alexander Arnold to get the chance to maybe rest him a few times and pushing him to develop even better, I think uh, Alexander Arnold can take, take the, uh, the next step. Uh, James Miller shouldn't play as a right in the defense anymore. You could see yesterday against Anthony Gordon that he couldn't. We, we got the problems every time Gordon had the ball against Milner. And I was happy that they didn't use him more often. Uh, if Milner is, should, is playing now, he should play in the midfield. And I'm, I've always been one of James Milner's biggest supporters, but um, even I have to realize that he can't play against quick uh, attackers nowadays he's he's about to be 37 years old and shouldn't be forced to defend one-on-one -on -one against 20 year old and anthony gordon so perhaps um, we could find some backup player for alexander on the next window but it's since we use alexander Arnold so much in the build-up it's hard to find a player to to um, have as a backup because we need to change so much when he's out so it's almost like we should need uh, should sign a a good midfielder to be who could be able to play on the right side of our defense that we have his uh, so we don't that we don't have to change our build up too much but um, as the situation is now we rely on alexander arnold a bit too much and perhaps that makes uh, that makes him tired and that he can't and that leads to um, this uh, lack of form that we are seeing now um, I think that we will rest him perhaps uh, on Wednesday against um, Napoli in the Premier, in the Champions League, so that he will be back at his best when we play Wolverhampton next weekend because we need to win that game. And I think that uh, Klopp will uh, gamble a bit in the Champions League uh, group stage and hope that we can maybe rest a few players and even and um, get out of the group anyway. Yeah, and just quickly on Salah. Um, I know we, you spoke a little bit there on maybe his form might be impacting Alexander Arnold. Do you have any concerns about Salah sort of long term? We've seen it before with players who sign these big contracts and then they sort of drop off. It happened with Aubameyang at Arsenal, Ozil at Arsenal. Maybe it's more of an Arsenal problem. Um, <laughs> but uh, um, it, I, it, the, the period of form for, for Salah does seem to have been going on a little bit longer than than Trent. It sort of went on to, after the Af African Cup of Nations. He, he never sort of got back to that best in the world form that we saw pre-tournament um it seems it seems churlish to be saying that he's um it, should you be worried about his form long term when we were speaking this time last year about being the best player in the world but but do you think there are sort of signs of longer term decline and do you think that maybe the new contract might be looked back on as, as a bit of an error from Liverpool? do you think that it's it's just way too soon to be talking about that well um to be honest i am a bit worried about salah's form if you look at his stats in the past year it, it's um they are good and they have started this season good as well with a couple of goals and a few assists but if you look at the whole game he's, he's out of the games a lot now and one-on-one uh, -on -one, he's not the same threat as he was a couple of seasons ago he's more now of just seem of course it's important to score goals but Salah was more than a goal scorer a few seasons ago and I think that nowadays he 
he's he's at his best in the penalty area where he can score and um if when he run against the defender it's uh, yesterday he played against um, everton with the he doesn't have the best back four not the quickest back four but still he couldn't uh, find get to manage to to dominate the games the game as he usually do so i have to say i am a bit worried maybe it's unfair to him because He's been one of the best players in the league for many years. And uh, of course, he ha has to be out of form as well. And he's played a lot of football in the past seasons. It's easy to forget that he, he played the African Cup of Nations. He has been in the World Cup. And this time, Egypt won't be in the World Cup. So he will get a month rest during the Qatar World Cup. And perhaps that will make him uh, maybe come back at his best after the World Cup. But that half the season will be played. So. Perhaps it will be a bit too late for us if we want to win the league this season. But he's still, he's not old. Maybe he's, he won't be as quick as he was when he signed for us, but he's a smart attacker and I think he will keep on scoring goals. But um, perhaps it will be uh, as a central attacker more in the coming seasons than uh, on, the, on the right side, because it's in the penalty area where he is at his best. And uh, nowadays, if, he call, if, he's on the, if he's on the right side, he's, uh, he's falling out of the games a lot. And uh, since he's our, he's our star player, our best paid player, he should be the, the guy that you, that you see when you watch Liverpool. And uh, yesterday he was, um, he was uh, nowhere near his best when we needed him. But in the end, he had a, he had a shot against the post in the dying minutes. So if that would have gone in, he would win the hero. And uh, I guess I wouldn't have been talking this way. But uh, it's small margins. But I have to say, I'm a bit worried that he doesn't look as uh, sharp and quick as he did a few seasons ago. Yeah, it, it is small margins. <laughs> and it, we, we are very outcome biased when we talk about players. So I, I, I guess it is still early, as it is with Liverpool with Salah. We'll see how it develops. Uh, moving on to Spurs now, Steve. Um, the games I've watched Spurs in this year, I've never really been totally impressed by them. But, but, but you can't really argue with the points tally that you have. Do you think that, I, I guess it, it might be dangerous for the other top teams that Spurs have still got a lot in the tank. And, and do you feel that yourself? I, I think we're still at the point, Jake, where we're working out the, the best combinations, the best ways to play the, the players that we have. Uh, and I think uh, it's, it was interesting when I was listening to Thomas there talk about Salah and his struggles. It's exactly the same with Son. Um, I mean, we have, you know, to use the old cliche, you know, form, form is temporary, class is permanent. And, and both Salah and Son, I think, are, um, are class players. Uh, and, and, and I think it, it's hard for a player to go, and, and this is the, the case for both of those players, it's hard for them to go from sharing the golden boot one season to actually having trouble getting off the mark. Uh, the following season, and I, and I think certainly for Sonny, um, because our team tends to reflect the way he and Harry play together. But but our problem now, well, it's not a, it's not a problem. It's a good problem to have. The thing is, Sonny has gone from playing in a two, playing very much in an identifiable pattern with Harry, to playing in a, any combination of the four with Kulusevski and uh, and Richarlison added to that mix. And actually, I, I, I think, as I say, it's still early days. We're, we're still seeing Conte mess about with the, 
with the structures a little bit. Um, and there are a couple of things that he needs to he needs to figure out pretty quickly. But he has some games to work work with it. But if you look back to the the two games that we had this week, um, you know, yesterday's yesterday's game against Fulham, uh, and then the game in midweek against West Ham, they're they're like a perfect contrast for how how Spurs make life difficult for themselves. I mean, for example, uh, from what I saw, I listened to the, the Spurs game on the radio yesterday. I didn't actually, I wasn't there and I didn't see it until I saw the highlights on, uh, on match of the day last night, but it looked like, you know, we were much better than just a one goal uh, margin of victory in, in that game. Uh, and, and if you look at Son specifically in that game, He's still making the runs into the space. He's still, I mean, there was there was one run where he, he ran into the, the the left side of the box <clears throat> and hit the hit the bar. And if that if that had gone in, you know, everything would be different. Again, it's like what Thomas said about the what ifs with Salah. It's it's the same it's the same mentality. It's like he's adjusting to not just playing with Harry. Um, but I I think that that spreads through the whole team. The, you know, the the fact that. Um, uh, there are players in other positions that are working everything out. I mean, Perisic and Sessegnon on the left-hand side, for example, we're still working out how to get the best out of them. But going back to the West Ham game, that was a grinder. We really had to, we really had to grind away at that game, and uh, we lost, we lost concentration for a little bit. And and I think um, that was probably um, the worst I've seen us play so far this season. But the uh, but the Fulham game was a complete 180 on that. I mean, it, it, you could tell that there were there's fluency. There's a sense that you know we're moving into the space better. We're we're playing better on the break, which is how we normally play. Um, and and so I think that, that those two games encapsulate the struggles that we've had uh, when we're um, when when we're grinding. You know, we're lucky to get a point and and. You know, to be honest, West Ham is a difficult place to go. So I, you know, I'll take a, I'll take a point away from home uh, at West Ham. Same with the point at Chelsea. We really battled for that. But when you see us play at home against somebody like Southampton or Fulham, where where we're actually in gear and we're actually flowing, then that's the type of football that we that we need to be playing. And that's the type of football that pe- people like Sonny and Harry and Kulisevsky and Richarlison, um, uh, I, I hope we'll see a lot more of him. But uh, I, yeah, I mean, these are uh, we these are points that we didn't have last season, uh, and so we're not gonna we're not gonna gainsay them. But um, but you know, we'll we'll see how we go. The the proof is in the is in the eating, as it were. Yeah, I was just going to ask you about the Champions League. Obviously, that comes in this week. Is Tottenham a return into the competition? Uh, is it the first time we played it since we reached the final? Uh, uh, since uh, twenty nineteen, uh, yes, yes, it is. Yes, yes. Yeah. So you've got, so you've obviously that's the that's going to be nice to be back in it. But Conte's famously never done well in European competition. <laughs> yes. well, um, how do you reckon he's going to sort of prioritise competition? Do you think he's going to want to? Do well in it, or do you think that maybe he's going to have one eye on the Premier League? Because I do think Spurs have got a very strong chance of, of, of maybe not challenging, but you know, City and Liverpool both started, they're both dropping points. There's a chance to yeah. at least be in the conversation when we break for the World Cup. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I think he's going to, pri- if I'm honest, I mean, what do I know? But I think he might well prioritize uh, uh, competitions uh, after the group stage of the Champions League because, and, and I, I, I caution my fellow Spurs fans really to. Uh, this is not an easy draw. 
the, 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 you might think that uh, Frankfurt, Marseille, and Sporting Lisbon are uh, that, that that's a uh, an easy draw. There are no easy draws in the Champions League at this stage. So uh, I, I think he's going to um, he's going to play it um, one game at a time, which you, you always have to do, especially in in Europe. Uh, I mean, the, the key, I think, is that are the two games against Frankfurt. We go there and then they come here. Um, so that that turnaround, I think, will will give us a good a good sense of what we need to do for the, the remaining two games. But uh, yeah, it's good. To, it's good to be back in, in the Champions League in the, and, and especially in the manner in which we got there, uh, I think, was was hugely satisfying and, and gave us a gave us a platform on which to build, give us also the sense that this was a team worth investing in, which I think was a was a hard sell to uh, to Enoch, as you as you know. Um, but uh, yeah, I, 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 as far as making a pitch for for you know um, for the league title, I think it's just, it's way too early to even even think about that. I I know a lot of my Spurs friends had sort of thought, um, and and again, this goes back to you know talking about who won the transfer window. It, when they did the deals early on in the transfer window, everybody said, oh, this turns us into a contender. It actually doesn't. It really doesn't. But what it does is it makes us more of a unit. It gives us an opportunity to actually blend together because they did the deals earlier uh, and actually hopefully hit the ground running both in the uh, in the Prem and in the Champions League. So I'm looking forward to seeing what we'll, what we'll do in the Champions League. And I have a feeling that that's where, that's the stage where uh, Sonny is going to come good, and I suspect it might be also for Salah too. Yeah, we'll, we'll move on to match previews now, um, as we are running a little bit out of time. Uh, we'll start with you, Thomas. Um, got a game against Napoli in the Champions League. Uh, tough trip to Italy. Um, what sort of team do you think Klopp's going to put out, and are you confident of starting your Champions League campaign with a win? Uh, I think we'll see a bit of different players uh, in this game. Contrary to the to the game against Everton, perhaps he will start after Melo, who was signed on deadline day. And I know that Thiago is going to train tomorrow. Perhaps it's a bit early for him to start on Wednesday, but I think he will be at least get a few minutes. Um, Diogo Jota came on as a sub yet yesterday. I think he might start. I think he will start Nunes as well. Uh, so we don't have the biggest squad now with the, the injuries. So. He needs to rely on most of the players who started uh, yesterday, but a few players can be rested. I think that Alexander Arnold will be rested so that Joe Gomez can play on the right and Matip in the middle. Uh, Robertson will probably be back. So um, I think it's the midfield where we'll see uh, Arthur start, where we'll see the, the, the most changes. Of course, uh, Cavallo uh, went off injured, so he can't play. I think that um, he will uh, rest Elliot as well because he has played a lot of football at the start of this season. He's still very young, and uh, coming back from the injury, tough injury he had last season, we, we need to play him in um, in a smart way. So maybe it won't be the strongest team that we have, but uh, hopefully it will be a team strong enough to get at least a point against Napoli. We've had some troubles against that team in the in the past in the Champions League. I think it's the third time we play them in the group stage. So um, I'm not uh, confident that we will win, but um, I think we at least should manage to get a draw. And uh, it's a bit of a different Napoli team that we play than we usually do because uh, they've lost a few key players in Koulibaly and Mertens. In, 
since we played them uh, the last time. So I'm not I'm not um, sure about the quality of Napoli today, but usually a very tough away game and on a big arena. So um, I hope we can get at least a draw so that we don't lose in the first game. Maybe four points from the two first two games in the group stage is um, is good. If you if we lose on Wednesday, we really need to win the game against Ajax at home, and that is the game before um, that is before we play uh, Chelsea away. So um, it's a uh, two important weeks coming up, and uh, hopefully we can start next week by getting at least a point in Italy. Yeah, same question to you, Steve. You start your Champions League campaign against Marseille at home. I guess you're confident of a win given it's at home, but what sort of team well, do you think Conte is going to put out? Well, no, I'm, I'm very happy that the first game's at home. Uh, you, you always back Spurs, I think, at, at, uh, at White Hart Lane. Um, Marseille are a really good team at the moment. They're on a, they're on a very strong run, uh, despite having you know changed their manager recently. But they're... Um, uh, I'm looking forward to actually coming up against Alexis Sanchez again. Uh, uh, but he's um, they're they're they seem they seem to be um, winning comfortably in in Liga at the moment. So uh, who knows where where we'll end up? Um, I think our our next two Premiership games are against Man City and then Leicester before we head into the international break. And I I. I would rather have them the the other way around, but obviously you can't you can't dictate these things. Um, I would really like Richarlison to start a game uh, uh, very quickly or very soon, just to get him into that um, that that role of of leading the line the way he sort of traditionally does. Uh, and I I but I don't think uh, Conte will do that against Man City. I think he'll he'll either bring. Um, uh, Richarlison or Kulisevsky off the bench uh, again for uh, for that game. Uh, City are City are one of those teams that they're they're very like us in the in the, the way they play. They want, like to play out from the back and and because of that, we're both vulnerable to the counter sometimes. So um, so I think that'll be a, it'll be a good test for us actually. As I say, we we grinded against West Ham last uh, during the week uh, and then we we didn't really make the most of the way we dominated the game against Fulham uh yesterday so uh again going going to city it's uh, you know if you can get anything at all out of it uh it, it's a good thing um the marseille and sporting lisbon uh, games i think it's very much the unknown apart from you, you look at the team and how they're doing in their domestic league. And as I say, Marseille seem to be on a, on a roll at the moment. So um, I, I certainly think we, we underestimate them uh, at our, at our, um, at our, uh, to our detriment if we, <laughs> if we go down that road. But I, I, I think Conte's, Conte's uh, been around the block enough times to know that um, he won't underestimate a team, uh, especially in, in the Champions League. So, um, yeah, the, the the Man City game, then the Leicester game. If we, if we can if we can get four points out of out of those two games, that's that's a good way to go into the uh, the international break, I think. Yeah, with that, we are now out of time. So thanks so much for joining me today, guys. Just like to tell people where they can reach you. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, my name is Thomas Nygren. You can find me on Twitter at Thomas Nygren. Uh, I write on a Swedish website called lfcsv.se. We also have a podcast called Total Liverpool Podcast. 
both are mostly in Swedish. We have some content in English, but most, most of it is in Swedish. So if there are any Swedish Liverpool fans listening, make sure you visit our website or look or listen to our podcast. Uh, th thanks very much for having me on, Jake. It was good to chat to you and Thomas. And uh, you can get me on Twitter at Steve McGookin. And if you want to check out my current uh, writing project, it's at statesofplayproject.com. And, uh, and finally, all uh, good wishes to Kevin, um, because I'm actually missing his wedding for a second time this weekend. I, uh, I went to his wedding and got COVID, so I couldn't actually go to the ceremony. So I'm, I'm missing the reunion uh, this weekend. Yeah, obviously, good wishes to Kev. Uh at this time um thanks uh, so much for listening everybody and get the show on twitter at epr roundtable and get me on twitter at jake jackson the end yeah thank you so much for joining us and we hope you keep listening Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.